Last week, we started a sermon series on the values of our church. Why talk about values? Because everyone has values. They live out of what they truly value, whether you happen to be a criminal or Mother Teresa. But we can choose our values and attempt to live by them. And when we have values, they guide our thinking. They guide how we treat and interact with each other. They uh, help us in our decision-making. All people will live by their values, whether they are our values as persons or as a church. When it comes to church values, we have narrowed our values to six. Because more than that is hard to remember, but we believe our six values are sufficient to guide us in our decision-making and to inform us in how we treat each other. Last week, Ben Marquez started off this series by saying our first value is God above all that we seek God's glory in everything, and we ask of everything, is this God's will? Today, I'll share our second value, and that is high grace, high truth. Our values are listed on our worship folder. You'll see them in places in the church campus, and so we encourage you to get to know and embrace our values as a church. High grace, high truth. It's a value because our former interim pastor, Bob Hopper, said this a lot, even preached a sermon series on it. And when I arrived as pastor five years ago, my staff was already saying when it came to decision-making, is this high grace, high truth? And so it was already a value practiced by the staff, And we can find scriptural warrant for it, and so we made it a value of our church. We get this from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 14, and it says this about Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. If the goal of God in our life is to make us like Jesus, and Jesus was full of grace and truth, then we also need to make that our aspiration, that we too would be people of high grace, high truth. So what did this mean for Jesus, and what does it mean for us? To start, we'll talk about grace. When the New Testament writers came across the word, Old Testament word for loving kindness, they translated it as grace. That Old Testament word is chesed. It means uh, to do kindness, to love someone, to, to love them, be kind, even though they don't deserve it. And the illustration for grace is similar. So let's suppose you're driving down the road and a neighbor could drives through a muddy puddle and just 
splashes a bunch of mud on your car. And um, you ask them to wash your car for you. And he washes the car. And after he washes the car, you give him $1,000. He actually did some harm to your car. He kind of owed you. But instead, you responded with this great gift of grace that you did not have to give. This is chesed. This is grace. And God saves us by grace. We have disobeyed him and ignored him so often that he owes us nothing. You got that? God does not owe you anything. There is no super obedience in your life. There is no sense of perfection to your life that God says, wow, we, I really owe you for all the wonderful things you've done. In fact, we've ignored him plenty of times. We've kind of set aside what he's said. We've known what he said. We've done the opposite. And yet, He forgives us and offers us great grace and great cost to himself. He treats us as sinless. He gives us his spirit. He gives us every spiritual blessing in Christ. He gives us blessings on this earth. He is preparing for us a great inheritance in heaven. In exchange for our splashing mud on him, he's responded with grace. Grace is given even though it's undeserved. There's a story told when Napoleon was emperor, and if you were in Napoleon's army and you cowered in the face of battle, the penalty for you would be death. There was a young private. They were charging. The young private, instead of charging, just kind of hunkered down and hid. He was found out, and Napoleon sentenced him to die. His mother, a widow, heard that he was being sentenced, and so she went to Napoleon to intercede for his life. She was his only son, her only means of support, and so she appealed to Napoleon's mercy and grace to pardon her son. And Napoleon said, Madame, he does not deserve to be pardoned. And she said, Sire, if he deserved it, It would not be mercy or grace. Napoleon, impressed with her logic, pardoned her son. So Jesus was full of grace. Jesus was also full of truth. And truth is stating reality as it is. Like We're confirming 40 kids today in church. Or two plus two equals four. Don't jump from the bell tower. You'll get hurt or worse. There's also a moral aspect to truth. Truth without principle is not really truth. Truth guides us in a way that is good and true. It corrects us and brings us back to the true and good path. Truth guides us in living 
well. Truth also implies authenticity. It's, it's when what I say and how I live are consistent. And if I'm not being consistent, I'm honest about it and can ask for forgiveness or admit my fault. It means I do not try to manipulate others or mislead with my words. I'm true and trustworthy in my motives, actions, and words. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. And so an example of Jesus being high grace, high truth, was a time when some people lying in wait found a woman caught in the act of adultery. They brought her out to the square to stone her, and they said to Jesus, okay, uh, what do you say about all this? You know, the book of Moses, the law of Moses says she, she needs to be killed for this. So Jesus says, well, let the one of you without sin cast the first stone. Well, no one qualified. And when they all left, Jesus says, where are your accusers? And then he said, neither do I condemn you. High grace. But then he said, now go and leave your life of sin. High truth. Jesus called sin, sin. He called people to repentance, that is, to live according to the truth. And when paying for the sins of the undeserving required his death, he willingly gave himself up for it. That is high grace, and grace is costly. Jesus was full of grace and truth, and we see the cross being full of grace and truth. We see truth at the cross because throughout God's history with people, God said, here is my word, here is my law, my law reflects my holiness, do my law, it'll prosper you if you do, um, there will be consequences and death if you don't. That was truth. The people just ignored God. They, by their sin, said, we're not going to believe you. We're not going to do what you say. In fact, we're going to just do whatever we want. Now, if God had said, well, that's okay. You don't have to do my word. I was just kidding when I said you had to do it. Then God would have little regard for his word, little regard for the truth. He would have abandoned truth and justice. A person who is trustworthy keeps their promises and their threats. But at the cross, we see grace. The sin had to be paid for. Justice had to be done. But since God was the offended party, he paid the penalty for it himself. There's a well-known illustration, but I'll use it again this Sunday. 
There's a small town judge and a young man is brought before him and there's been witnesses and his car is in the house of uh, uh, a neighborhood family and he's been accused and he's found guilty of reckless driving and driving the car into someone else's house. And so the judge knows the young man, he loves the young man, but he's an honest judge and he sentences the young man. You have to pay for the damages of the house and you have to pay the fine for reckless driving. And then after he sentences the young man, he takes off his robe and goes to the clerk and pays for the damages of the house and the fine. Truth and justice is done. Grace is shown. We see truth and grace at the cross. And so we too are to aspire to live a life of high grace, high truth. We love and treat people with kindness even though they don't deserve it. Even if we expect nothing in return. We love and treat with kindness those who are poor, those who are different than us. We treat with kindness those in our own families. Sometimes it's easier to be kinder to others than it is to the people in our own house. But really, that's where grace and kindness needs to start. So think about how you are at home. Think about how other words you use. For your kids, are you kind to your siblings? Are you kind to mom and dad when they ask you to do something? Mom and dad, are you screaming and yelling and being hypercritical, or is there grace with your words? Grace also implies mercy and forgiveness. We've been given grace from God. He's forgiven a great multitude of our sins, and when we're mindful of how much we have been forgiven, it makes us easier to forgive others. In fact, we are obligated to forgive. And so we always have to carry within us this knowledge of God's great grace towards us. If we can remember it, if we can revel in it, then it becomes a fountain of mercy and grace to others. Grace also serves the other. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, pay it forward. There was even a movie by that title a few years ago, but here was the premise of the movie. Someone decided to show kindness to someone, someone who was even unknown to them, and they just did this person a great act of kindness. And then when the person asked, why did you do this, and what can I do for you in return, the answer was, pay it forward. Don't pay me. Pay someone else. Do a kindness for someone else. And then the movie tells the story of how a family and a community were transformed by people paying it forward. God paid it forward for us. 
and now being like God, being gracious, is paying it forward for others. However, grace without truth is wishy-washy. It does not have principles. Anything goes. Grace without truth lacks correction, justice, or fairness. Grace without truth is like saying, oh, that's okay if you go to spring break in Venezuela. That's not gracious. That's not loving. You have to tell the truth. Good luck coming back from Venezuela with your money if you haven't been mugged or shaken down for a bribe. Grace without truth is saying, oh, that's okay, honey, if you stole from that store. Who am I to judge? See how we can't have grace without truth? We especially need to speak truth when it involves keeping people from danger or or grave sin. Let's say a family moved into your neighborhood and you live on a fairly busy street and the neighborhood kids that have just moved in are, are playing in the street. And you know there's cars that zip down your street and there's trucks that go down your street and you're thinking, why should I tell those kids to not play in the street because it's dangerous. But you're kind of afraid of offending the new family. What does grace and love require? It requires that you tell them the street is dangerous. And telling the parents the street is dangerous. And we have situations like this in our lives where we see people in the throes of addiction or bad behaviors or going into a downward spiral and we're afraid of saying something. Love and grace speaks to truth, but it speaks it with love and care and grace. If we do not speak the love, the truth with love, then we really have no right to speak it. Truth without love is critical and nitpicky and harsh. Truth without love can be brutal. There was once once an English noblewoman named Lady Astor who once said to British Prime Minister Winston Churchill at a party, Mr. Prime Minister, you are drunk. He said, Lady Astor, I am drunk, but you are ugly. (laughs) And tomorrow I shall be sober and you shall still be ugly. (laughs) That's truth without grace. (laughs) It's brutal. It has no place coming from people who want to be like Jesus. So speak and live the truth. Jesus is the truth. Because in this day and age, we have people say, well, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. 
And it might be the case where we're not, not quite sure what is true, but there is such a thing as truth. Truth does exist. Pilate once asked Jesus, what is truth? And Jesus replied, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now, I believe Jesus is truth. Not just because I believe scripture, but I have investigated the resurrection story with a scientific and critical mind. And I have come away from studying it with the undeniable conviction that the evidence points to Jesus rising from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, then he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God and the Messiah and the Savior of the world, and what he said about reality is true. I believe that those who were with him and followed him accurately recorded his words because they wrote it down just a few years within his lifetime and there were still eyewitnesses to correct what they wrote. There are several people who wrote the four gospel writers and other epistle writers and even though they have different perspectives and different takes on things, they all agree on the, the thrust of the main story and they don't contradict each other. And when you look at the evidence, you can see that what they wrote down within a few years of Jesus' lifetime has been accurately transmitted to us, and we know that because of the manuscript evidence. I'm betting the truth on Jesus. Because in this culture of spin, and social media, and manipulation, and greed. We need an objective for truth. And our best bet is Jesus. So speak and live the truth. Look in the mirror and see yourself as you are. Let your words be true. Let their intent be true. Do not use words to manipulate. Neither lie, cheat, or steal, or defraud another. Let there be integrity in all you do. But behind everything, there is a motive. The motive is grace and love. In a church setting, we have to be guided by this value. There may be a time when we have to have a difficult conversation with someone. We will, we will have to share a hard truth, but we will do so with love. If you do not love them, then you have no right to share with them. We may see someone living a life that Scripture calls sin. We will have to speak the truth in love, but do so with humility, knowing that you too are a sinner saved by grace. We as a church may have made mistakes in the past or we may have hurt someone in the past. We have to have the courage to admit the truth, to reveal the truth, to ask for forgiveness and to forgive those who have sinned against us. We live these values because these 
are things that Jesus is full of, and we want to emulate Jesus. But there's a second reason. And the world needs people of high grace and high truth. Our political arena needs this message. Our culture needs this message. Our social media needs this message because it has become uncivil, unkind, ungracious, and truth is something to be manipulated in the interest of whoever. High grace, high truth is actually counter-cultural these days. But since when do the followers of Christ go along with culture? We have another value for that, God above all. And if God is above all, we live according to his truth, not swayed or bent by culture. Our church has said we will practice high grace and high truth. To this we aspire because our Savior is full of grace and truth. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask your Holy Spirit to be our mirror this morning. We look at ourselves, we look at our hearts, and we ask, is there grace? If we find it lacking, Lord, we go to you who is the fountain of grace. You've loved us deeply, not counting our sin against us. You have forgiven us many ills. We revel in your grace. Now, Lord, we pray that your grace would be a fountain of grace that we extend to others. We look in the mirror and we ask, are we living truth? And Lord, we repent of things that are untruthful or unauthentic or dishonest. We repent of any of that, and Lord, we we set our path on a, a path of integrity. If we've looked in the mirror this morning and found ourselves to be critical and harsh, Lord, we repent of that. If we look in the mirror and found ourselves unwilling and afraid to speak the truth, Lord, we repent of that. We have all kinds of pressures from this world and our flesh and the devil. Lord, we want to be full of grace and truth. Jesus is, he lives in us. Let us draw on him. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.